Hi everybody, I'm Peter Jacobson, and welcome to Jake's Takes. You've heard me many times talk about different formats in tournaments. We see a lot of metal play, and that's fine. The U.S. Open, the Masters, the PGA, all the majors, all the all the big events we we experience are all metal play events. So. It's kind of fun when you think about the Ryder Cup or the Solheim Cup or the President's Cup. It's match play. So why not have a few more match play events? Well, that's what we had last week down in Austin, Texas at the World Golf Championship, Dell Technologies match play. I watched every bit of it. I love this tournament. I love the match play. I love Austin Country Club and the nuance that you have on the golf course. I've played it before. I've actually done the broadcast there many times. The greens are very interesting. They're subtle. They don't have the big crazy humps in the green, but they're just confusing enough to really throw some players off. But last week's result just goes to show you why the networks and title sponsors do not like match play and why the PGA Tour does. The PGA Tour loves the match play because no matter who gets in the finals or who gets in the final four, let's say, they can build a little awareness around some new players. Now, it'd be great if you got world number one, two, three, and four in the final four, but that never happens. Kind of like we see this year in March Madness with college basketball. The higher seeds have just surprised everybody. And the same thing happened over the weekend down in Austin at the match play. The only single-digit seed to go through to the Sweet 16 was John Rahm at number three, but everybody else was, it seemed like they were 30th seed or higher. Now, let's be honest. There isn't much difference from the first seed to the 64th seed. It, it, it's kind of crazy when you look at the stroke average and, and how different a player is that's in that tournament. They're all world-class players, so really anybody could win that tournament. So when it came down to Billy Horschel and Scotty Scheffler, I think the networks were were cringing. (laughs) Title sponsor maybe was cringing because he thought, well, people aren't going to tune in like they would if it was Bryson DeChambeau versus Rory McIlroy. That would have been an epic match. But here you had Billy Horschel, who is one of the hardest working kids on the PGA Tour, played college golf at Florida. He's won the FedEx Cup championship before. So he's a proven, dedicated, committed player who I think has got a lot of talent. In fact, I think to this point, he's underachieved, in my opinion. He does everything correctly. Maybe he's a little hard on himself. He's got a temper, but I like that. I like to see it when a guy gets pissed off because that motivates himself. Now, he was in the final against Rookie of the year last year, Scotty Scheffler, who ironically played his college golf at the University of Texas in Austin and has played Austin Country Club so many times it felt like a home game. Scotty Scheffler has an incredible game. It's interesting to watch him swing because he does not have a classic looking swing like a McElroy or a Tiger Woods. He's a what my coach Jim Hardy would say. He's a two-planer. His arms lift up in the air comes back perfect at impact, and then on the follow-through, his arms go way up in the air. 
it's a it's more of a Davis Love type swing, but Scotty Scheffler is an incredible ball striker and he's a great competitor. He's tough, really, really tough. So that's why the tour loves to see these newer type players. Billy Horschel's not new, but Scotty Scheffler is. These new breakthrough champions come through because it just builds the awareness of the future of the PGA Tour, which I think is great. But the networks would rather have Bryson and Rory in that final. Now, the other guy that was in the semifinals was Matt Kuchar, who is a former champion, a great player, great match play player, and the other the other player was Victor Perez from France. Brand new player. He's got a lot of talent. So it was kind of a mixed bag with those last four. Horschel, Kuchar, Victor Perez, and Scotty Scheffler. Made the tour smile all day. Probably made NBC and Golf Channel cringe a bit, but hey, that's that's a roll of the dice you get when you have match play. I thought it was great. I watched every bit of it. I thought it was compelling. When you're looking at these players going at each other, the strategy, the gamesmanship, it boils down to the same thing we know in match play. Get ahead, get your opponent down, and never let off the gas. Never let them up for air. And that's always been what you want to do in match play. Quick starts, good short game, don't make any bogeys, and you're going to win. play as many PGA Tour events anymore, or or PGA Tour Champions Tour events for that matter. But when I do, I'm always traveling with my golf clubs. When I'm traveling with my golf clubs, that means that they're in my club glove. It's one of the most dependable pieces of luggage I've had my entire career. And players like Brooks Kepka, Ricky Fowler, Jason Day, Rory McIlroy, on and on and on, they trust club glove as well. You know you want to arrive safely, but you want your clubs to be there as well, and they usually do, thanks to my club glove. It's a jungle in here, and we all know it. The fans are fired up, making sure they show it. They're rowdy and loud, not your usual crowd. It's a jungle in here, and we all know it. You and I have been friends for a long time. You are a, uh, a nationally recognized teacher. You've uh, We've worked together. As part of the Jim Hardy clan, you, Chris O'Connell, and Jim, all kind of birds of a feather. You work on the same fundamentals, and we've worked quite a bit together. Tell me a little bit about what you think is going on in the game today with Bryson DeChambeau and all the reports about Rory McIlroy chasing distance, kind of like what Bryson's done. Is it is that the is that the right direction that we should be going in in the game? Well, I think. Um, statistically, analytically, yes, I think it's the right direction. Um, we now have all the, all the analysts, all the data people stepping in and, uh, saying that distance trumps everything. And, you know, for a long time, it was hit it in the fairway and then hit it on the green. And now you're seeing statistically that that doesn't hold up. 
that the bombers are performing better to a point. But I think what uh, Bryson DeChambeau did is he he looked at things, and and this is just speculation on my part. I, I think he looked at all the data, you know, all the the Mark Brody data and uh, the Scott Fawcett data, and said, okay, this is the way. If I can add this much distance, I on I'll, these courses, and and I'm sure he mapped it all out. I carry bunkers. I yes, I might still be in the in the rough, uh, but I'm not out of play. And statistically, he saw, and as others see, the shorter the club I can get in my hands to hit an approach to a green, the closer to the pin I get. And so I think uh, what he went after was to say, okay, if I can add this distance, then statistically, I can get closer to the hole more often, and now I can shoot lower scores. And I, and, and I think that's what we have to get everybody to remember is why this distance search? Why? What is the purpose of it? Well, it's to hit the next shot closer to the pin and then ultimately making more putts and making more birdies or more pars, whatever, you know, the person is uh, to their skill level out there. So, so I think it is the way of the future. I think you're going to see a lot of young people in our programs, for example, I'll back up one second. When I was growing up, Peter, um, I'm in my 60s. When I was growing up, it was hit it in the fairway. We'll teach you how to hit it farther later. And that never happened. And so now you're seeing all the programs, all the youth programs go swing out of your shoes, hit it as far as you can. We'll teach you how to hit it as straight as you need to hit it later. And so I think what you're seeing is all the data point to hit it farther, and you'll score lower. And at that level too, Peter, on the PGA Tour, I think on that level, you're seeing people hit it farther and out of play, but they're not that far out of play, and they're not missing that many more fairways than they missed before. So, But then kind of take another look at it. You've got Dustin Johnson, Cameron Champ, Tony Finau, Matthew Wolf. You've got all these other relatively long hitters that aren't that far behind Bryson DeChambeau, and they haven't quite had the success that he's had. So yes, I think you're seeing an emphasis put on distance, but now can you convert it into lower scores? And I think the average player needs to kind of look, uh, needs to have something to quantify. Okay, if I hit it farther, will I actually score lower? You just touched on it. I hate to interrupt you, but you touched on it. I don't want to get away from this. You and I are both in our 60s. I played the tour for such a long time, and I grew up with the same fundamental thought as you just touched on. Swing smooth, put the ball in play, and have more chances to attack the pin. And that was really the prevalent thought on tour when I was playing, watching Nicholas and Irwin and and Trevino and Palmer, Watson, etc., etc., all those great players, and we tried to emulate that. And now, as I am in my 60s, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I can swing faster or swing harder to gain the distance. But do you see this new generation coming out with a totally different focus on speed versus accuracy? Yes. And I think if you go back just a little bit, you know, Tiger kind of introduced it initially. You know, look at Augusta, Tiger proof. So Tiger came out and hit it farther than anybody. So I don't think this is a new phenomenon. And also, remember, like Bryson DeChambeau, before his body transformation, let's call it, you know, Peter, he won five times on tour. So a lot of people don't remember that. He actually was a five-time winner. 
And I think and don't forget also for that is, he won the U.S. Amateur and he won the NCAA yes. Championship, individual championship, during his time at Southern Methodist University in college. So you're right. It's What's amazing to me, Rick, is how Bryson has changed his entire focus. He's changed his body. He's changed how he looks at the game, how he approaches the game, and how he's gained. Oh, I think we saw some stats on TV, one of the events I was doing, that he hits the ball 40 to 50 yards farther now with, with, with yes. his driver. But he hits his hits his nine iron almost 200 yards now. And is that... Is, can everybody do that? I, I, I think that no. well, goes to show you what a great no. athlete he is. Right, right. He also has a he he's also has terrific technique. Don't forget that. And so what I was trying to point out in the fact that he had already won five times before his transformation was that he was a very skilled player. And I think perceptively on his part, he said, okay, if I can maintain my skill and increase my distance, then I can become somebody to contend with every week. I don't, again, go to the others, go to Cameron Champ. I, I, he's really long, and yet we don't see him up there every week. So there's some something um, amiss. Are we making too much out of what Bryson did? I don't know. But to answer your question, yes, we're going to see, I mean, Peter, I've got 12-year-olds in programs, and I'm telling them, swing as hard as you can swing. And we're wow. looking on our track man, we're looking at our track man at club speed and ball speed uh, mostly. Uh, so it's it's really it's really a change in, in the perception it, it, of the game. It really it really is very much. And, so. and we're witnessing very much it. so. Yes. Well, the interesting thing too, you and I spend a lot of time together down here in Naples when you're teaching at the quarry, and I this is where I live now. It's fascinating to me the interaction you've had with I believe his name is Richard Shank. Is that is that Skank. correct? Richard Shank. Yes, Richard, Richard Skank. Skank, which is a bad bad term to use in the game of golf, <laughs> right, but, right. but Richard loved baseball, and he just he had kids that played baseball, and he did a deep dive into how to hit a fastball more efficiently and how to hit it more solidly, and right. you became fascinated with his work, and you've gone down and spent some time with him trying to see how that transitions from baseball to golf. Tell us about that. Well, and, and again, Peter, you were right. It is Shank. I don't know what I was thinking there. It's, it's so, oh, golf, okay, yeah, it, it's is Shank. it is Shank. Yeah, it is Shank. I, I would say it's Shank, but it's Shank. Sorry. But anyway, well, they're both um, Skank or Shank. Yeah. Those are both the kind of shots you don't want to hit. <laughs> yeah. I think I was getting sidetracked by something here. Anyway, I have a nephew in Seattle that's a very good baseball player, and he has followed uh, this gentleman for three or four years on Twitter. And when I would go visit, my nephew would tell me about him. And I, I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, great. But I've always been fascinated by baseball power hitters. Um, I, I just was always fascinated by how much explosiveness their swings had to a baseball. And the more I started to listen to my nephew, I started to look up Richard's information. And, and I'm in central Illinois primarily, and then he's in St. Louis. So I called him up and we had a great conversation on the phone. And I really liked what he said. And so I've been down to see him three or four times and we share a lot of stuff on uh, text and calls and stuff. But something that fascinated me was his whole premise was based on, he thought Barry Bonds, regardless of the steroids or whatever, that Barry Bonds was the ultimate hitter. And he wondered how Barry Bonds got all his speed. So he went on a two-year search and figured it out. 
and, and I won't get into how he figured it out, but he figured it out. And so in talking with Richard, and now again, Richard doesn't play golf. He's a professional hitting coach. And um, so I, ha- I, was, I was listening to what he said, and I had to convert it to golf. But anyway, the main things that he talked about were building up a coil in the right side. If you're a right-handed hitter or right-handed uh, golfer, building up a coil in the right side of the body through the right leg and right of the spine, so to speak. So the right hip socket loaded and then the right scapula loaded. And so now you wind up like a spring and something he said that made a lot of sense that's a little contrary to most instruction today is he said, I want to send the barrel of the bat in the opposite direction of the pitch when I start. In other words, in golf lingo, he would cast the bat. But then he had this tremendous turn and spin, so to speak, on his right leg, and that would bring the bat around with a great deal of speed. So I started to apply that to myself uh, just to see how it would work. And so I was able to get my driver club speed up about eight or nine miles an hour and my ball speed up quite a bit because of that. So so again, what his research showed and what I've taken from that, and we've even discussed it at times, um, was to wind up the backswing like, like it's a coiling spring, and then you just pop loose that coiled spring, and you have this tremendous burst of speed right on the get-go of the downswing. And that, um, I've been able to get results with players getting a burst of speed, increasing their club speed, increasing their ball speed through that method. This- this call. So now we've uh, we're changing the perspective of putting the ball in the fairway and attacking the pin <laughs> to now speed. But then the other thing you're telling us is that the old idea of casting from the top, which all the teachers tell us don't do, not to do. You're saying mm-hmm. that to get the speed when you're at the top of your backswing to throw the club literally a- away from the target. In other words. Get the club head moving first, which then generates more speed, and you're you're rotating around your right hip socket. In other words, you've got a left and a right leg on the ground, and we're all taught to move to the left side, which involves a bit of a drag. And that's always been one of my problems is I drag the handle through the ball, and now I've had my left hip replaced, as you know. So I tend to drag the handle through the ball, and you're saying throw the club head out away uh, uh, the opposite away direction the of the target, and then th- that helps generate the turn and the speed. Right, right. Now, when I say cast, I'm using that only for descriptive purposes because everybody understands a casting golf. What I'm saying is cast the wrists, not the arms. So you basically are getting to the top, and then I am throwing the golf club in the opposite direction of the target. At the same time, simultaneously, and you cannot do it any other way, I am making a massive pivot on my right hip and a massive turn of, of, I want to say, my right shoulder blade around to face the target. And so through that uh, chain action or reaction, we've been able to increase club speed. Now, let me, let me back up and say a couple more things. So the reason we're seeing greater distances today, Peter, is we have golf balls that just jump off the club face. We have club faces that are, for lack of a better way of saying it, trampoline-like. So we have equipment that is better today than it ever was. We have players working out 
through science that is very methodical, that is creating, you know, techniques of the athlete becoming very, very powerful. In other words, the first thing Bryson DeChambeau had to do is he had to, he had to uh, go through a muscle activation training. In other words, he had to get his muscles, every grouping and every muscle active, so to speak, and he had to train on that first before he could start putting load on everything. So, you know, we're doing all this stuff ahead of time. Well, I kind of approached it like, again, I'm 63. Can I increase my club speed, just me, without working out, without doing anything else? And if I can, then I'll start working out and seeing if I can increase it more. So, again, this is just simply saying, okay, I'm going to change techniques and see if I, I'm not going to change my body. I'm not going to change anything else. I'm not going to change the equipment. Although I did have to change the firmness in the shaft because as my swing speed went up and the others that I've talked to, I've, uh, to get the ball speed, I've had to change the shaft. But anyway, so yes, I am telling people, um, again, under supervision, <laughs> I am saying cast the club in the opposite direction of the target uh, fast. Throw the club head in the opposite direction as fast as you can and as early as you can. And then the right hip socket will pivot the right Scapula stays close to the spine, and you pivot your whole entire right side, and boom, you create this explosiveness that I was, honestly, I was unable to create in my instruction for a long time until I started working with Richard. I have to tell our listeners that I've seen it. You and I have been friends, like I said, a long time, and when you started telling me about this, we went to the range, and I watched you with the driver, and you and I have played a lot of golf together. We hit the ball about the same off the tee with, with a, a, probably a 98 to 100 mile an hour swing speed. I watched mm-hmm. you then hit the ball one, with a club speed of 108 to 110 and pick mm-hmm. up significant yardage on the track man. And I was right. blown away. I thought you were playing a game with me, but you were not. And I, I, I've been really fascinated with this idea. Now, what you just said earlier was about what Bryson did. He changed his body. He got stronger. He gained weight. He gained speed along with uh, a change of technique. But you're saying that right now players can go out without going into the gym and pumping iron yeah. by just thinking about throwing the club, again, in com- uh, com- uh, combined with a turn around mm-hmm. your right hip. Now, I've, I've tried mm-hmm. this. And I have picked up speed. And the reason I wanted you on the uh, podcast today was because I find any change in technique or any change in the approach to the game fascinating. Because golf, as you know, a lot of these techniques have been hard and fast for so many years. And I find what you're doing, the work you're doing, to be, be incredibly breakthrough and fascinating. It, and and it, was, it was difficult for me. Peter, I'm a conformist and 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 a, a student of the game and i've been so lucky in my career to have learned under jim hardy i mean i think i'm a really good teacher today and i tell jim whenever i talk to him i say it's always because of you it's only because of you and then also being able to share ideas and concepts with a world-class player such as you and you know we talk about digging it out of the dirt and you and i will stand on the range sometimes and we'll go well, let's do this and this and this and get done and go no that wasn't it this is a little bit revolutionary, and again, it took me a little bit of time to kind of wander off in the desert on my own and go, you know, this is different, this is unique, but yet you see players do it. Kyle Berkshire, 
will say that he will press off his left foot and go back to his right foot. And when you watch Bryson DeChambeau, when he when he hits, his feet will spin kind of on the heels, and he hits off his right side. And Phil Mickelson, you know, three or four years ago, did a biomechanics study and found that he was on his front leg too much when he hit. And so I was fascinated by those thoughts going through my head and then watching and listening to Richard, and I went, you know, maybe maybe there's something here. And so, again, I had to do it to myself first to make sure there was any validation to it or validity hey, when, to it. Hey, when you go wandering then, off into the desert, do you have like a Forrest Gump moment where you just start running <laughs> and you you don't bathe and you don't shave? Is that is that what you're telling us? <laughs> Peter, I'm 63. I don't run, period. So, <laughs> Hey, well, Rick, yeah, uh, yeah, the running I want to... Oh, yeah. I want to thank you for taking the time to join us, and uh, the work you're doing is fascinating. And what we're seeing, the way players approach the game these days, is is really it's it's fun to see. It's fun to see players stand on the tee and swing as hard as they can. Players that can do that, I'm not sure a 67 year old like me can do that, but it, it is it's it's great to see the game change as it has since you and I were young kids. Rick, thanks so much for joining us. You bet, Peter. Thanks a lot. You've been here before, you know what to do. Keep your head on straight, don't let them get to you. Put a smile on your face, get rid of that frown. Gotta suck it up, it's no time to melt down. It's a jungle in here, and we all know. You know, I've been a pretty good ball striker my whole career, and I think one of the strengths of my game has been my driving. I've been pretty good off the tee. I hit a lot of fairways. But I always know that my first drive of the day is going to be a good one in comfort, luxury, and in style because I'm going to and from the golf course in my Lexus GX460. I've been a brand ambassador of Lexus now for over 30 years, and in my opinion, it's the best vehicle on the road today. Now, I may have had a few body parts replaced over the years, but that's just in my 65-year-old body. My Lexus needs nothing but routine maintenance, and that's just the way I like it. It's a jungle in here, and we all know it. The fans are fired up, making sure they show it. They're rowdy and loud, not your usual crowd. It's a jungle in I'm headed to Augusta National in a couple of days for the Drive, Chip, and Putt National Finals. It's the seventh edition, and I'm proud and honored to say I've done every one. I did the first few with Rich Lerner, and now I do it with Mike Tirico and Paige McKenzie and Jimmy Roberts and Steve Sands. And it is just, it's such a special event. When we first did it seven years ago, I had no idea what to expect. Neither did anybody at NBC or Golf Channel or Augusta National or PGA of America. We just knew that there were, back then it was 88 kids, 88 young men and women coming in to compete against each other in driving, chipping, and putting. Well, I think it's shown everybody how successful this is and what it does for me. And I think anybody that's played golf at any level, it takes us back to when we were kids, how we got started, how we fell in love with golf. As I go through these bios of these kids, I think I mentioned this last week, 
but I've read more bios up to this point. These kids talk about how much they love the game because they get to meet new people, because they get to practice hard, because the game is different every time they play. And it's a different challenge every round they go through. And to me, it's such a departure from what we experience in professional golf. And as much as we love it, whether you're on the PGA Tour, LPGA Tour, European Tour, Corn Ferry, doesn't matter. We're all out there grinding away, trying to improve our bunker play and, and improve our driving to win the tournament, to make as much money as we possibly can. But when we're not playing in tournaments, and I don't play many tournaments anymore, but I'm out at the golf course every day now. What am I doing? I'm working on improving my bunker play. I'm working on improving my driving. I think if you fall in love with the game, that passion never goes away. I may not be competing for titles anymore, but I play because I love to meet new people. And when I'm out at the golf club and I get paired with three new people, I enjoy it. We get to share experiences, talk about family, talk about business. And even though obviously in that arena, I've got more experience at golf than the three guys I'm playing with. I love to talk about my experiences in the game, the people I've met, the places I've been to share those experiences. And that's kind of what we do at the drive, chip, and putt. We're in the tower talking about these boys and girls as they start their journey in the game of golf, which could be for a lifetime. Some of these kids we've seen in the previous six tournaments, they're going to go on to a career in golf. Some of them are already playing in the Augusta Women's National Championship. Some are playing college golf. And I can guarantee you, some of them will get on either the LPGA or the PGA Tour. It will happen. But isn't that wonderful? Isn't that why we do the tournament? We do the tournament trying to identify great players, yes. But we're trying to grow the game and introduce the game of golf to everybody. And... I'm very selfish. I think golf teaches us the proper morals and values. And I always tell everybody, get your kid into golf because you get to meet different people of different ages and different income brackets of different different races, different genders, different socioeconomic backgrounds. It is the game that connects us all because it doesn't matter where you came from or who you think you are. All that matters is that score in that box on the scorecard. Did you make a three or did you make a four? Did you make a nine? Did you make an 11? It doesn't matter. Let's go attack the next hole. So as you can tell, I'm real passionate about the drive, chip, and putt. And I'm really looking forward to this weekend. I hope you all watch. It's five hours straight from eight in the morning till one in the afternoon Eastern time. And that seems like a long time to be on the air jamming away with these kids watching the drives and the chips and the putts, but I can guarantee you it goes by like that. It flies by because, like they say, when you're having fun, time just flies. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's Jake's Takes podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Peter Jacobson. These have been my takes. What are yours?